0: You know, it's, it's always great to be part of something successful, part of something that's really happening. Is the Church of Jesus Christ growing? You know, it's, it's exciting to be part of South Shore Baptist, to see the gradually increasing attendance, to see programs that are growing in depth and breadth, to see lives changing, to see people coming to Christ. It's an exciting place to be. But is the church of Jesus Christ growing? As you look, I think, at the worldwide statistics, it's encouraging. And you see that uh, there's a lot of of excitement. People are coming to Christ around the world. But as you come to the United States and you look at our setting, you see sort of a a perplexing picture. Over the last 20 years, we've had a movement among the Bible-believing churches called the the church growth movement. And what it is, is a a focus on harnessing uh, management and uh, um, and motivation and, and communication and leadership, insights that have been developed for marketing, things like this. And to apply some of these insights to the work that the church does of working with people, organizing people, communicating a message. And I think this... This kind of movement is long overdue. And I think there are some really valuable things that are coming uh, through the the church growth movement. But in these same 20 years is the time when the evangelical churches have stopped increasing in their uh, percentage uh, stake in the United States. Our growth seems to be at a standstill. We're just replacing... Uh, our losses, and we're not making advances. Uh, Bill Hull is an author. He wrote a book called The Disciple-Making Pastor. This is another book, but Bill Hull uh, says some things about this situation. He's a leader in the church growth movement. He uh, is a a leader in the Evangelical Free Churches of America. And uh, Bill Hull says, the statistics tell us that we are only replacing the dead, that the evangelical body is not growing. Churches are growing by the rearranging of the saints. Evangelicals are simply playing musical churches, moving around to more exciting, larger churches. The megachurch's feeder system is the smaller church and disgruntled believers who have quit their churches. What is going to happen when that feeder system dries up? what we are not doing is penetrating our world that's the united states we're not penetrating our world for christ real evangelism real discipleship real outreach is simply not taking place on any serious level as the cold facts plainly demonstrate bill hall is is facing the cold statistics that the church growth movement isn't it isn't growing the churches it's not a movement of churches growing but it's sort of a movement of rearranging and reorganizing, and uh, it's good. But there's some hard words here, something discouraging. And I think that when we face these hard words, these hard realities, they should bring us back to God's word, you know, because the church becomes like a, a little kid with a new toy, or maybe like a grown man with a new toy. You know, getting focused on all the details and working out all the kinks, And and getting excited about all the features and how everything can work together, the church growth movement gives us so many new tools, and there are so many little wrinkles to be ironed out. And we can get distracted with all the management and communication and all the polish and the external uh, gloss and forget about the basics of what it is that makes the church grow. Jesus talks about church growth. Here are some of his words on the topic. In the Gospel of Mark, starting with verse 26, Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, Then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And so Jesus has some points to make about church growth. And uh, the most obvious here is that there's a harvest at the end, that there is an end point, there's a completeness that he is aiming for, that church growth has a target or a goal that Jesus is aiming for. For a harvest and a completion in the church of Jesus Christ. And the second thing here is that church growth is mysterious. There's something incomprehensible when we see it happening. That the man doesn't understand how it is that the soil produces seed. The man goes to sleep, he wakes up, he looks at his field, and he sees it growing. And there's nothing he can do to make it grow faster or slower. I suppose he can do his little part, but... The, the growth itself is something from God. And that's what church growth is. It's something from God. Jesus Christ is the one who grows his church. And so what we want to do today is look at what is Jesus' strategy for church growth. Because if we can get ourselves aligned with his strategy, then we can do the best job that we can do. And then we'll just leave the results in his hand because he's the Lord. But what is Jesus' plan for church growth? What does the Bible teach about church growth? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Could you turn there? If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 1158. Jesus' strategy for church growth Results in a kind of maturity where people become more and more filled with Christ. Real church growth is when people become more and more filled with Christ. And Christ is at the center of real church growth. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So what is Christ's strategy for church growth? Verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Christ's strategy for church growth begins with giving special gifts to special people, raising up special leaders by giving them special gifts, so that it's, it's this miracle, this mysterious event of Christ himself working among his people uh, pouring out special gifts on special people. And so uh, he, he, he first gives in verse 11 uh, foundation laying gifts. Apostles and prophets. So how, what is Jesus' strategy for building his church? Well, he gives special gifts to special people. And what is his strategy? It is to lay a foundation to give foundation-laying gifts. And so he he calls the apostles and prophets, which Paul calls in chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse 20, he calls them the foundation. He says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So Jesus begins by gifting special people with foundation-laying gifts, the apostles and prophets. An apostle is someone who is personally appointed by Jesus Christ. And a prophet is someone who speaks from God. And these people, the people that Jesus appointed personally, are all dead now. And now the question is, are there prophets today? And that's a difficult question. There are people who argue different things. Some people... Uh, say, yes, there are prophets today because God is the same God who he, who he always was and he gives the gifts as ever. Other people try to say, no, the Bible says that those gifts have passed away and they try to find you know, places like First Corinthians 13 that talk about how prophecy passes away and they say, you see, prophecy has passed away and uh, so there's this debate that goes on and I find both sides uh, difficult and confusing. I, I take a middle position I don't believe in just going for the average, but in this case, I I think the middle position is right. You know, the problem with prophecy, if I stand up here and prophesy and tell you, uh, God has said that your pet will go to heaven and be with you, and then someone else comes up and prophesies and says, God has said that the souls of animals cease to exist when they die then what are you going to do with that? If I had said something that contradicted the Bible, you would know I was a false prophet and you would reject me. If I had said something that was already in the Bible, then you wouldn't need me to prophesy. But when I say something that isn't in the Bible and it doesn't contradict the Bible, you don't know what to do with it. You can't test it with the Bible because it's going off beyond the Bible. If I tell you, God has said to me, that the church ought not to build the Family Life Center. We should take all of the money and buy food because a famine is coming. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't really talk about that and you're not going to be able to test what I say from the Bible. What can we do? We can test the prophet and start looking at me, whether I'm really the kind of person that God is going to speak through and bring this kind of message today. And for 2,000 years, the church has been testing prophets and really hasn't been finding a lot since the days of the apostles when there was an apostle there to say, Yes, this is a prophet. What he's saying is the word of God. Listen to him. And so the apostles and prophets were gifted by Christ to speak the word of God. Christ personally appointed the apostles, and the prophets spoke from God with authority. And when Christ laid the foundation, He didn't lay the foundation for only one generation. But he also gave the gift of inspiration to those people so that they could write God's word for all of the ages of the church. So that even in our time, we have the sure foundation. You have a copy of it uh, there in front of you in the pew rack. You have a copy of it at home. If you don't have a copy at home, ask me. I'll give you a Bible. And so the Bible is our foundation Jesus Christ laid a foundation for his church, and this is his strategy. And then Christ's strategy involves also giving, building gifts, the gifts for building on the foundation. And so if we look here in Ephesians uh, 4.11, he gave some to be apostles and prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And so the, these are the building gifts. And so there are the people in the church who build on the foundation, who build up the saints. Um, so the work of a, of a pastor, the work of an evangelist is to go and tell the people who don't know about Christ and to start churches, like missionaries. Those are evangelists. The work of a pastor and a teacher is more inside the church. It, pastoring has to do with like being a shepherd and having concern to care for the spiritual welfare of people. Uh, so pastors or elders uh, are, are caring for the spiritual welfare of people. And then teachers, of course, are teaching the truth. Pastor and teacher are very closely linked in this verse and uh, they, they are very closely linked in the work that they do. Pastor and teacher are sort of like one job, and they they work together, even if the job is split into different people. So the body of Christ, according to Christ's own strategy for church growth, includes special people with special gifts. In other words, the body of Christ is not like a set of checkers. On a checkerboard, every piece is the same. Every piece is interchangeable. They all have the same moves. They all do the same thing. But the body of Christ is more like a chess set where you have different pieces with different abilities and they have different roles and, uh, and different uses on the chess board. But the thing about the chess set is you know that the king is not in charge. In fact, the king is one of the most useless pieces. The one who's in charge of the chess set is the player. And the one who's in charge of the church of Jesus Christ is the one who places each one where he wants and who moves the pieces and uses them according to his plan, according to his infinite wisdom, according to his beautiful and glorious will. He moves each member of the body of Christ and places us where he wants and uses us. So uh, the body of Christ is not like Checkers. It's not about individualism. It's not that, we're, that we should be anti-clerical or against the idea of having clergy. The body of, of Christ is more like a chess set. It's not like a game of Simon Says. Yes, there are leaders in the body of Christ, but it's not like Simon Says, where you've got one guy who's the leader, and he tells everybody, okay, Simon Says, raise your right leg. Put your right leg down. Simon didn't say. Simon says, put your right leg down. And so everybody has to do what Simon says. And everybody's eyes are on the leader. And you know, there are Simon Says churches where the leader is the one who leads and the people all have to follow. And there is a division in the body of Christ then between the leaders and the followers. And there are different kinds of Christians, the leaders and the followers. And don't try to do what Simon does. Just do what Simon says. Because nobody in Simon Says stands up and says, Simon Says, except Simon. And in the church, when you have a church that's a Simon Says church, then you have problems. Because everybody's eyes are on the leader. But we should be like the chess set. Everybody's eyes should be on Christ, the player. And he's the one who guides the whole game. So Christ's strategy is to call special leaders, but they are leaders who aren't really leaders. They're special, but they aren't really special. They're sort of authorities, but they aren't really authorities. And so how do they get their job done? How do the ministers, how do the, these gifted people do anything when they're sort of in this, this hazy in-between state? of being leaders who aren't really the leaders. And the way that they, the, uh, the gifted people in the church do their work is through a multiplying ministry. It's a multiplying ministry. Verse, uh, verse 12. Christ gave these gifts, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the first thing that we see about how uh, gifted people in the church do their ministries is that they focus on people. They prepare God's people. The New Testament, interestingly, never says that in the church there should be priests because in the New Testament there is only one priest. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament says there should be elders or overseers or pastors. There are different terms that seem to be for the same thing. But the difference between a priest and a pastor is this. A priest works with his back to the people, and the pastor works with his face to the people. Because the work of the shepherd is to care for the sheep. But the work of the priest is to go and talk to God for the people. But we have a priest who has his eyes on us. We have a priest who's seated at the right hand of God and has his eyes on us. So we don't need a human priest. So the, the gifted people in the church do their work by focusing on people, and they do their work through the people. And that's what Paul says here in verse 11. He says it was, he, uh, verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. So, the, the gifted people in the church are more like coaches, like teachers. The, the teacher succeeds when the student learns and achieves. The coach never scores a point. It's the team members that go and score the points. The coach can ruin the game. The coach can ruin the team. But the coach can never score a point. And that's more how... the the gifted leaders in the church are, they're busy equipping and preparing God's people for the works of service. The works of service are done by God's people. So it's not like Simon says. Because the works of service are really being done by everyone. It's a multiplying ministry. And then, uh, again, how, how do these people work? The way that they work is when All the parts of the body are working together you know the uh, the gifted people in the church are not like auto mechanics or lawyers or brain surgeons who do the job for you you know if I need brain surgery I don't want my brain surgeon to teach me brain surgery I just want him to know his job and to do it and really not tell me any of the details but the gifted people in the church need to equip me to be a gifted person in the church so that I can be like them. And then the way that the body of Christ is built up in verse 12 is that the people are prepared for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. There's cooperation. All the members of the body are involved in the work of the ministry. And that's how the church grows. So you have A calling somewhat at least as an evangelist there's a world out there that you're connected in and the goals are not scored on the sidelines where the coach is sitting the goals are scored in the field where the players are playing you're the one who is scoring the points you're the one who is achieving the growth in the body of Christ where you are and where God has placed you in the world So you're an evangelist. You're a missionary, so to speak, in the place that God has put you and called you. Christ needs to be lifted up by wise people who are filled with Christ and gifted by the Holy Spirit in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the culture, in the arts, in the sciences, in education, in government, in the military. Christ needs to be lifted up in all these different areas, and you're needed. Um, You have a calling like a pastor. Christ gave some to be apostles and prophets and pastors, evangelists, pastors and teachers, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, parents, neighbors. You have a responsibility for spiritual care for people who are around you to watch over the spiritual welfare of people who are around you, of teaching them, of knowing God's word, of knowing what the foundation is, and knowing how to help someone else connect with it and grow in God's word. So this is how the body of Christ grows, as the specially gifted leaders are multiplying and increasing. And so we become more and more, I guess, like a chess set... a checkerboard after all in the end because in the end everybody is becoming more and more gifted and completed in that way so what is the end point you know in everything that grows there's a, a completion an elephant is you know grows a tremendous amount but it stops growing finally when it becomes a full-grown elephant and uh, you know the mustard seed you planted in the se- in the field and it grows very very large so large that the birds of the air come and rest in its branches, Jesus said. That's what the kingdom of God is like. But it reaches a point where it's finished growing. What is the end point for the church? What is maturity for the church of Jesus Christ? Verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Three key words, until we all reach unity. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature. And of course, that's the key word. It's all about maturity. But the question is, what's maturity? And he's defining it more broadly here in verse 13. It has to do with unity. And then, until we all become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's maturity? It's fullness of Christ. And so maturity involves unity. But he's speaking of a special kind of unity here. He says it's unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So the kind of unity that Christ is bringing the church to is a unity In knowing the same thing and believing the same thing but but wait that means that there's truth outside of us that we all have to believe yeah yeah exactly we all need to believe the same truth truth is real it's true it's not just my truth and your truth and my experience And the things that you say, I can never completely understand because I'm not really exactly like you, and your truth is yours, and my experience is unique, and nobody can understand me. You know, there's so far you can go with that. But finally, all that individualism leads just to scattering and confusion and emptiness. But Christ is bringing unity. Out of all the chaos and confusion in our lives, Christ is bringing unity as we know the same thing, as we believe the same thing. And it sounds like it's maybe all intellectual and in the head, but it's not. Because these words are are very rich, you know, in, in, in the original and in the background and the way that these words are used in the Bible. The word faith is not just believing in your head, but it's believing it with your whole life. And the word knowledge, knowledge of the Son of God, very interesting in the Bible how it's used, but it connects with a personal relationship, a personal knowing, that it's knowledge of truth that's out there, that's real, that everyone can access. It's not just private truth. It's not inexplicable truth that's mysterious, that I'm the only one who can find it and I can't tell you about it. It's real truth that's out there, but it's a knowledge that involves a real experience of Christ, a living faith, knowing Christ personally as my Savior. And so that's how the unity comes as we become united in faith and knowledge, truth that's outside of us, and all of us brought together in that. And then Paul also says that the, the maturity that he's envisioning involves fullness, of Christ that we would become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ and I think one thing that this says is that there are no halfway measures it's not about getting halfway grown it's not about letting Christ have halfway reign in your life you don't just get enough of Jesus and then you're satisfied but you need to go all the way you need to uh, let nothing hinder you, nothing stop you you know When things grow, they don't take a vacation. Sometimes we wish that children would take a vacation from growing and just stay at one spot for a while. Uh, But you know, uh, when things grow, they never stop growing, uh, except for Christians. When when the bird is, is growing, the baby bird in the nest, and it reaches a point where, uh, if it grows anymore, the mother bird is going to ha- have a hard time running around fetching worms or whatever to feed it. And uh, you know, if it keeps growing, uh, you know the nest is going to become too small, it's going to become too crowded. And so change is looming because of growth. Growth brings change, and change is threatening, and we don't want change. But growth never stops because there's a threat. Of change growth keeps going and so the mother bird comes along and says man these kids are getting too big and she boots them out and uh, it's dangerous and it's painful change is never nice it's never what we want but growth calls for change and we don't stop growing because there's a danger of change and hey Christ has plans for you and they're not halfway plans and the things that God wants to do in your life may turn everything upside down and require a total rearrangement. And uh, that's not fun. But you can't stop. You can't just reach a point and say, well, uh, you know, I've, I've grown enough. I, I'm satisfied. You can't... Growth never stops because we become bored with growing. Uh, except among Christians. You know, I sort of say, well, you know, I... I really grew a lot yesterday. You know, yesterday was Sunday, and I was just involved in so many things. And you know, today's Monday, and whew, you know, I, I don't need to concentrate. I, I need to look at some other things today and get involved with other things. Growth never stops. You got to go all the way. You've got to be totally devoted to Christ, to His purposes for you. And we, as a church, if we're going to grow and be mature, we need to be totally dedicated to Christ's calling, to Christ's goal for the church. So, church growth, as Christ sees it, it it starts with his strategy of calling and gifting special leaders, uh, laying the foundation through special leaders, and then building on the foundation through special leaders. His his strategy involves uh, preparing people Using these leaders to multiply, to multiply others, so that more and more are touched by God's grace and are lifted up and become leaders in their own different unique ways. And finally, his strategy leads to unity. All of us need to be involved in the ministry. All of us need to have the same faith. All of us need to have the same knowledge. And we need to never stop growing. So what I've been focusing on is telling us how to align ourselves with Christ's strategy and then saying that once we align ourselves with Christ's strategy, we'll throw ourselves into it and then we'll trust him for great results. We'll trust him for the exciting results. But I want you to stop back up again. I want to read the verses again and I want to show you what they say. What they say is... Christ is building his church. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Is the church of Jesus Christ growing? Yes. As we focus on Christ, as Christ is present and doing his work among us, Christ is growing his church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your grace and your power. Thank you that you do work in people's lives. Father, thank you for the evidences that that we are seeing around us of your hand at work in people's lives. Thank you for the mysterious work of the Spirit. And Lord, we would be thankful and yet we would ask for more. We would say we haven't had anywhere near enough. Oh Lord Jesus, show us your power. Show us your mercy. Do something great in our day. Cause the name of Christ to go out. Enable us to really live in a real way as your messengers in, in a lost world. Lord Jesus Christ, be with us as a church. Give wisdom to us, to each of the members of the body. Give us unity to love one another and to walk together as your people. Bring these words. And Father, Be with us. Enable us to commit ourselves totally to growth and to your purposes and to never hold back. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.